Thanks for tuning in to the 168 Podcast, a podcast from Mitchell Knight and Jordan Bird of the Clarence Church of Christ, aimed at helping you connect Sunday worship with everyday life. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the 168 Podcast, where we are aiming to have conversations that help you and us to pursue Jesus all 168 hours of the week. And so today we're actually going to have a discussion around the resurrection of Jesus and what is the case for that. And we're going to throw it to Mitch. He's going to carry the bulk of our conversation just as far as the content today. Um, He read a book based on this for one of his uh, classes that he's doing right now. And so we're going to have a conversation about that and the implications that has for us today as far as following Jesus. And so Mitch, why don't you share a little bit more about the book, the overview, and then we'll kind of get into it. Sounds good. Thank you, Jay Money. Um, so, as Jordan mentioned, <laughs> in my um, in my master's degree um, in Bible and theology, one of my courses is in apologetics. Uh, so, for this course, in which I am learning how to defend our faith, uh, I had to read a book called "The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus." Um, I'll include that in the description for the video, as well as when I make the Facebook post, so you guys can check it out if you want to. Um, And kind of the reason that this book was written is because people don't believe in the Bible. And during our Christian outreach, if the only thing we have to persuade someone is the Bible, um, we're probably going to have a great amount of difficulty. Because all someone can say is, hey, I don't believe in that book you're reading. And by the way, I need to move my cat before he gets in the way of everything. So, yeah, they could say, um, I don't believe the book you're reading, so why should I have to trust anything you have to say? And the whole point of the book is saying, well, you can actually prove historically, or it already has been proven historically, that Christ was crucified and resurrected. And you can prove that case without having to cite the Bible at all. The only time you would have to reference the Bible um, is referencing it as a historical document, like an authentic historical document, which is fine because all scholars agree most of the um, most of the New Testament was compiled uh, in the first century A.D. Um, this is going to get annoying. Sorry about my cat. Um, so yeah, most of the New Testament was compiled in the first century A.D. Um, And, um, yeah, we don't have to say, well, the Bible has authority over our lives, so you should just believe it. When we talk about the Bible, we talk about the Holy Spirit and his inspiration for the text and all that. But all inspiration really means is that it serves a functional purpose in our lives. It has authority over our lives. It doesn't really have a whole lot to do with truth. It has a lot to do with authority and function. So looking at the Bible as a historical document doesn't really get us in the traps um, from the, you know, just believe the Bible approach that I mentioned a little earlier. So kind of the book goes over a minimal facts approach, like what is the least amount of historical facts that we need to kind of prove um, the crucifixion crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And um, yeah, they call it a four plus one methodology because the last fact is kind of more of a best explanation. Um but anyway, yeah, so the, the point of this is proving that Jesus really did live, really did die, and really was resurrected without 
using the Bible, but using history to meet someone who is skeptical, you know, with where they're at. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on just that general approach, um, but... Yeah, I think to clarify, I mean, we're not... You're not saying... I'm, I'm not saying this either, that the Bible isn't important, because we both would agree that it is. Like, for... As followers of Jesus, it it is very central to how we come to know Jesus. I think, if anything, what you're trying to argue or say, or the book is trying to say is... The arguments that you read and that you're going to present help support that this is all the more true or that we can trust that it's true because you can look at that outside of the sort of religious environment, at least how we would kind of think of it that way. And yet just look at like historical things. And it's like, well, if this historical, if people are pointing to this historically, then it supports what scripture is saying already about itself. And so it, lends credence to what the Bible is saying about itself. That's at least what I hear you saying. And and I think yeah. if anything, it the arguments can help us consider Jesus, but ultimately the Bible is going to help us more clearly and more intimately actually encounter Jesus. That's where to right. me, there's a big difference. Like you can encounter all the facts you want and say, well, that points to it being true, but that doesn't necessarily get you to the who is Jesus thing. It just tells you something about what people said he did, that he died and resurrected, or at least point to that. And right. so to me, that, that's a, there's a difference between those two things. And we're not trying to say one isn't the case. We're just... Yeah. Yeah. It's just we're trying to avoid the pitfall of, well, we believe the Bible is important, so we just assume that everyone else does. Because not everyone else does. And this kind of method is most skeptics would agree that I mean these writings in the New Testament aren't fabricated they really were written by the people who wrote them and that's kind of where we're meeting them where they're at their their whole problem is well why should this inform the way I live like why why do I care I just don't believe that this is you know um, real in the in the functional sense why should this make me live a certain lifestyle Um, so yeah um, we believe the Bible is the authority in our lives but other people don't, and even if we're well-intentioned um, by bringing Scripture to people, if they don't believe it already, then we're kind of going in circles with them. So that's what this argument, or what these um, apologetics try to avoid, right? So the first fact out of like all of this five-fact uh, system is that Jesus died, that Jesus was crucified. Um, and I have my uh, book report that I wrote on this. Um so it's interesting, even uh, academic scholars from like the Jesus Seminar, which is like this big seminar, like um, saying that Jesus isn't who he was, or even he, you know, some of them say that he didn't exist, or um, just kind of trying to poke holes in the Bible and stuff like that. Even um, one of their members, John Crossan, agrees that um, that history is on the side of Christ when it comes to his death. I think the exact quote he mentioned was like, there is nothing more sure in history that Christ was crucified um, by the Romans. And you can actually see this in non-biblical writings from scholars like Tacitus and uh, Josephus in 2nd century AD um, commenting on you know how Nero was, was persecuting the Christians who believed in the risen Christ. Like um, There are records of his death um, in history. So that one's 
pretty easy. I mean, for Jesus to be resurrected, we have to know that Jesus died, and it's pretty clear that Jesus died. I mean, we read that in the gospel accounts, which, again, people might not believe that they need to you know, live their lives according to the gospels, but the gospels were written by four people who told the same story, right? Um, and then uh, the second fact, which is really interesting to me, is that the disciples believed that Jesus rose from the dead. This isn't trying to say that, hey, we know for sure that Jesus rose from the dead from the dead just because the disciples believed it. We're just trying to, you know, make the case that the disciples really believed that they saw Christ rise from the grave. Um, and to kind of go through that, they the book gives an acronym called POW, which is um P O W, by yeah, the way. P O W, yes. <laughs> Um, which is uh, Paul's testimony, oral traditions, and written traditions. So the first thing is that, well, why would you cite Paul if you say you're not citing the Bible? Well, Paul is independent from the gospel accounts. He didn't meet with the other disciples or apostles at that point until, what, two or three years later, I think. Um, And his testimony was based on seeing the risen Christ. And in his writings, he was... quoting oral tradition that has been proven in history to have existed years prior to those writings. So there was kind of making the point that this belief in the risen Jesus was consistent, you know, from the time of whatever it would be, 1 AD up until that point. Um, And then there are the written traditions, which I'm just trying to find here. Um which come from, like, church fathers like Clement and... Is it just Polycarp? That's how you pronounce it? Yeah, Clement and Polycarp, um, who have historical written recordings of interactions with the apostles. So basically, there is a very clear little breadcrumb trail that shows that this belief in the risen Jesus was consistent. Um, And I think, obviously, the, the last major thing that the disciples really did believe this is because they suffered and died and were martyred for it. So even if you think they had a false belief, you you could still agree that they believed in it because no one no one's going to die that way for a lie typically, right? People are going to die for what they believe in. Now whether or not that's true or false is another matter, but that's just the second fact. And I think, you know, definitely the disciples proved that they believed that they saw their king risen from the dead. Uh, and then the third and fourth facts are kind of tied together, which are the conversions of James and Paul. Um, so there's this thing when it comes to history or archaeology and things like that that's called like um, enemy testimony and why it's more reliable than regular testimony. Because like if I'm like, let's say I'm Jordan's brother, like from birth, and we've had a really good relationship. And someone asks me um, what I think of Jordan. I say, oh, yeah, he's a great guy. He always tells the truth. Now, the same situation except, like, I'm his mortal enemy or I'm his business partner or uh, his one of his um, business competitors, I should say. And, you know, I really don't like him. We've never gotten along. And then someone asks me what I think of Jordan. It's like, man, I really don't like him. I've never gotten along with him. But he really does tell the truth. It's like when the enemy of the person says something positive about them, that is very, very reliable for proving that there is some kind of foundation to the truth 
claim that we're trying to make, right? Um, so Paul, obviously, as it's recorded in his own writings, um, you know, warts and all offered this testimony that he had killed, persecuted Christians that, um, you know, especially with, with Stephen, there's more in that writing that shows that he was kind of actually, instead of just being complacent with it, he was participating in that with um, um, kind of the traditions he was uh, doing. But, yes, yeah, so he was persecuting the church, and then all of a sudden the basis for his conversion was believing that he saw Christ, right? It's the Damascus Road story. It's seeing Christ, having him speak to him, and having his life radically change. James, uh, the Lord's brother, the same way, right? He was actually very involved in Judaism. He was entering the Holy of Holies. He was offering sacrifices. He was doing that kind of thing. Didn't want anything to do with Jesus during his earthly ministry, but after his brother was risen, he completely left all of that and followed Christ to the point where he was also martyred and died a brutal death. I mean, these are two accounts separate from the four Gospels that we have, right? And these were basically enemies of who Christ was, which is, again, very powerful testimony. Um, so those are the third and fourth. And then just to bring the conversation, um, after, I'll open it up after this last one, but the last fact, and it's called four plus one because the last fact is basically in the absence of all of these other bad explanations, the only explanation that accounts for the truth of what happened on the third day is that Christ rose. So the last fact is that Christ actually did rise from the dead. And the reason that we believe that is because all of the explanations against it don't really make any sense. So first, there's obviously um, the whole theory that Christ never died, which doesn't really make any sense because, you know, the Roman military were experts at killing people. Most people, especially in Jesus's situation, would have been dead after the flogging he experienced alone. Um, another theory is that Jesus never died because um, probably Luke uh, like embalmed him with a special medicine that you know prevented him from dying in the grave but rejuvenated him afterwards. And it doesn't really make sense, especially on a practical level, because it's like if we had this wonderful medicine back then, why aren't we using it now today? Um, and again, it, it just doesn't add up from a practical sense. Um, there's been no trace throughout history of these kinds of treatments working. Um, you know, like the women went to the wrong tomb. The wrong tomb argument, the book is really interesting because it goes at it from a different angle. It's kind of talking about how most of the disciples, so except for John, historically, most of the disciples' belief that Christ rose from the dead was not based on the empty tomb. It was based on seeing Christ. It was not based on just... So even if they did go to the wrong tomb, most of them did not believe because of the empty tomb. They believed because they saw Christ risen. And again, the, the wrong tomb also doesn't account for what Paul and James, like I just talked about. They had no eyewitness of the empty tomb. They had an eyewitness, supposedly, of the risen Christ. They really believed that they saw Christ risen from the dead. Um, you know, 
the stolen body and all of that stuff, it it just doesn't make sense that there's been no evidence like proven for that. But there's all this evidence proving kind of that the disciples really believed that they saw him rise from the dead, their willingness to suffer and die. And just kind of the last fact as summed up, um, and I, I could, sh- um, you know, share more, but basically it's just saying that the resurrection is the only plausible explanation for all of these facts. So um, the in-depth stuff is in the book. But like walking through those five things and only citing the Bible as it is a historical document, it's really convincing. Um, And if you're not a skeptic, if you're like us and you're just, you know, you already believe in all this, it's faith building. I mean, it helps illuminate the scriptures for you. It helps understanding this history, understanding how the disciples were martyred helps build your faith and strengthen the hope that you have. I mean, it's not just an exercise for how we meet someone with where they're at, but it's also um, great spiritual training for us to have this knowledge in our back pocket when maybe we experience doubt in the future. Because the book even mentions that Christians ask these questions, like on average, at some point. And it's better to learn about this stuff now in advance rather than you know, kind of getting deceived later on and not really seeking the answers you want or, you know, not seeking the answers that are out there. So, I don't know. I kind of rambled for a while, but that's basically the the whole thing. Um, yeah, so you can take heart knowing that you can prove, you can prove Jesus without the Bible. There are tons of, there's tons of historical evidence for it. Well, thanks for sharing that. What would you say... Like if I'm just thinking like someone taking in what you just said and being like, well, there's no way I could just articulate all that stuff you just said. What would be your response to either that attitude or that? If that's where someone feels like they're coming from, what what could they do with what you just shared and how that can be faith building? I mean, I agree with you. It can be. But do you have a response to that perspective? Um. So you just mean like from their own personal experience or sharing it with like other people or both? I'm thinking more in terms of like being able to utilize it probably with someone else. I mean, yeah, with yourself, you can always rely on like you have a bookmarked or saved or you can find a book. Like I feel like that's a little bit different. But so I'll say that um, what's really nice about this book is that it actually covers that issue in the 13th chapter. Um, which is like, how on earth do you share all this with everybody else? And the first thing is that it encourages you by saying, if you don't know or you don't remember an answer, be honest, you know, have integrity because nothing is going to destroy your witness more than if you just try to wing it and make up information, right? Um, There is a lot of information, but um, I think the book does a really good job in terms of breaking it all down. I mean, even if it's just having one thing from each little section known, I mean, I I would find that helpful. And if someone brings up something that you're not prepared to answer, you're always free to say, I don't know, but I'll get back to you after I, you know, do a little more research. Um, so it's kind of a non-answer to your question, but... No, I think you know. that's helpful. I mean, it, I've heard that before, but I think it's good to, even for me to hear again of, I don't know... <laughs> 
but I can look into it or I'm willing to look into it is far more of an honest thing. I mean, it is, if you don't know, it is honest, but it's, it's more of a helpful answer than to just either try to make it up and like make it more difficult to further the conversation or to even just avoid the whole thing and be like, well, your, your hangup doesn't matter. You should just believe it. (laughs) Just sort of like sidestepping the person's inquiry. If that's where they are to start with. Um, while you were talking earlier, I mean, one of my thoughts was even if you can't articulate it, I think in general, it's just helpful to be aware that these sorts of arguments or these lines of thinking exist or they surround how people essentially or eventually make their way to considering Jesus. It may not be the case for you. Like that may not have been the thing you needed, but for a lot of people that might still be the case. And so even though it's not a like big thing for you, it, it may be helpful for someone else. And so, but, it, but again, just being aware of that and not coming across as ignorant to somebody because from their perspective, they're going to be like, well, you're just ignorant. You don't know anything about, you know, anything else in the world. And it's not, that's not to say that they're right in their perception of Jesus or the Bible, but it's, it is attempting to try to meet them kind of where they are. And so just being at least aware of it, I think is, is helpful in general. And I think it, it, some of these arguments alone have to do with just the idea that like the Bible itself, like we, I've kind of used this before just talking about it. Like a lot of times I think we come across like the Bible just kind of dropped out of the sky. Like God just plopped it down in front of us as if there's no history connected to it or anything like that. And, but the contrary is actually more true. Like the Bible, it's content and the authors and specifically the focal point of Jesus are all intertwined with history. Like you can't pull those realities apart. And to me, like the stuff you're talking about, all the more points to that, right? Like you can't, because you, it's you, you could try to say, this is just a religious book that someone just, a bunch of people sat down and wrote and plopped it there and Christians believe it. But the reality is it isn't just this book of like a fairy tale because there's so many parts of it that are intertwined in history that it's hard to pull it apart from that to, to act as if it's just from something that's made up. And so knowing this stuff is at least good to, I think, be aware that that's the context that surrounds even the very scriptures that we hold dear and, and believe or, you know, find our belief in Jesus. In. And so I, that, that was one thought that, that crossed my mind. And, and I think in general, like we would use those same methods for something we're trying to figure out, right? Like someone brings up something we've never heard before. We're going to probably go through all these same moves to try to verify. Is that something that I should take as, you know, is that truthful or is it not? we're going to go through like, well, does it even match up with reality? Does it match up with history? You know, like, yeah. Did this person just say, Oh no, like this is, this is, I'm trying to think of something like crazy. Like someone just all of a sudden says like gravity doesn't exist anymore. You're going to do a bunch of research that goes through almost these same kind of steps. And you're going to, but eventually you're going to get to the history of like, well, this guy, Isaac Newton, and then like all these things that go back through the history yeah. of like how we understand gravity and space exploration, just all those different things are going to help verify how you make sense of that reality. And the same is true with how a lot of people are approaching scripture. Again, you may not need that very thing to believe in it, but it is helpful for a lot of other people to right. make that step or that jump. So like my encouragement as well, kind of going back to your question earlier is that other people have already done the work for you. Like your 
journey in learning this information is just ingesting it. You don't actually have to do the grassroots stuff that other people have done. The footnotes are there. The references are there. They're all there. Christianity is the only world religion that stands the test of criticism. It matches any question that's thrown at it. And another point of encouragement is that starting these conversations is really easy, especially in this country, because I think people are tempted to, with all the, you know, science is all there is kind of thing, right? Um, they look at Jesus as like a legend or a myth or a fable or something like that. So uh, I had a really great conversation with a with a close family friend the other day where basically it started by me just saying like, yeah, actually right now I've gone, you know, I've studied and, or how did I put it? Yeah, I've just, I've studied the enormous amount of historical evidence for Jesus. And like, you know, her eyes like lit up because it's like, wait, really? There's historical evidence for Jesus. And then it's like, yeah. Have you actually considered that um, pretty much all scholars agree that Jesus actually historically existed and was crucified? We have all these different sources that show that he actually died. It's like, oh, wow. Also, the disciples seem to really believe that he died. Like, I mean, it just kind of all rolls off. I mean, and it's really easy. Um, so, I mean, it's not that it doesn't take time. I mean, I, I had to read a book for this stuff, but it's like really... I, I have to use big words when I say this because we're dealing with like academic stuff, but I promise you I'm really not that smart. I just read the book. <laughs> That's all I had to do. I read the research and the information that other people did, whether they are already agreeing with the faith or whether they were already disagreeing with the faith. You're using all of the resources. You just read. I mean, if you're willing to learn, you'll learn it. So... And like you mentioned earlier, at the least, you can learn alongside the person who's asking the questions, and you learn it, and you are probably able to better digest it and then repeat it or talk about it to someone else as you go through that same process. And it's going to mean a whole lot more to you because you're not just doing it void of a relationship or a conversation with somebody. It's like, well, no, you actually want to know, like, you know, like, I, I do believe this, but, like, how do I help? connect this rea this part of reality to what I believe. And that's a lot of what we're talking about doing here. And so, I mean, kind of to connect it just to the gist of what we try to do with this podcast of following Jesus in all 168 hours of the week, we can't just rely on an hour on a Sunday for someone to come to encounter Jesus. Like rather these conversations are going to pop up at our jobs, at coffee shops, parks, whatever it may be where we encounter people, which is generally the other 167 hours of the week, other than the one hour on a Sunday that we usually uh, are focused on hearing about Jesus or the Bible or things that help affirm like what we believe. Right. And so like these are tips and tactics that we can use to keep in the back of our mind again, to just uh, when we have conversations with other people or listen to like where they're coming from and why they believe what they believe and how we help convey like what it is that we believe and, but do it with conviction at the same time, but also help the other person to consider, have you considered this reality or your critique about Christianity or whatever yeah. it may be? Um, and again, I, like I said, I don't think it's that you have to be able to articulate all of it, but it, just being aware of it, I think is very helpful in already breaking down sort of the, divisiveness that could come up in a, in a moment or a conversation like that. Cause it could be easy of like, you're critiquing my faith and you just sort of like 
yeah, pause or put up a up. wall. And but just being aware of it just I think helps break like yeah like I, there's people who have these questions and okay here we are. And I'm just gonna say like all this stuff that we've talked about so far is to get people to the point where we are, which is where we believe that the Bible has authority over our lives. So if we convincingly can show that Christ lived, he died, and was resurrected, well, if he was resurrected the same way he was, it proves exactly who he was, and he has a lot to say about how we should live our lives. If the God of the universe is Jesus, and he is who he said he was, and he also said he fulfilled the law and the prophets. Everything is backreaching. Like it proves that all of this is true. Like that God wants this out of us. That he has done this for us. That he loves us. And that there is a lifestyle that we're called into. Um, so it kind of just it verifies the inspiration part of scripture. That this isn't just, it didn't just happen to come together based on a bunch of historical documents. They are historical documents, but God compiled all of these together for us because they inform our life and they help us to live tethered and close to him. So that's it's just the it's a stepping stone to getting someone to not only believing the Bible is true, but to become a doer of the word rather than just a hearer of the word, as James says. So, yeah, I mean, the kind of the flip side of the whole conversation is. I think in the end, none of us want to be someone who believes something and it's just separate of the rest of reality. We don't, I mean, that's not what the Christian faith, that's not what following Jesus is about, is this divided mentality or compartmentalization of life where it's like, I do my religious or spiritual stuff here and then there's like the rest of reality over here. Like I do the the Bible stuff here, but then I do history and science and math and all these other things over here. Like, no, they're all intertwined together. Like, the thing you're giving your life to and following Jesus, you want to intertwine with reality. Yeah, and that's the point. It's real. And so the, they this, I think, helps bridge or, like, weave those things together. It's not that they are apart to start with. The, the problem is that we've been deceived to think that they're apart to start right. with. And so a lot of this is just helping people move from unbelief to belief in what is already reality. And for us as Christians, I think it's to move ourselves from two different kinds of hope, right? Hope that from hope that, man, I hope this is true. Like, I really hope this is true to hope as in, yeah, this is true. And I'm waiting for God's son to come back again. Like I'm like hope for the future rather than hope for truth. So that's, what's valuable for us. I think. Mm -hmm. Any last words? Uh, go bills. If I had a dog named Rolex and a dog named Timex, could you say that I have two watchdogs? Yeah. And on that note, <laughs> thank you for joining us for the 168 Podcast. We'll catch you next time. Bye, everybody.